Alright fans, it's game time with Women Wins. That's women working in sports with Sarah and Sarah. I'm Sarah without an H. And I'm Sarah with an H. And we are Women Wins, helping all women win in the sports industry. Alright, we're back for, I guess as you would say, our first official game day, Sarah. That's right. Game day part one. Let's do it. Yes. So we got a great guest today. Um, I know that Sarah has been working really hard in one of the programs that our guest offers. So we're really excited to dive deep with that. But let's first talk about some news in the sports world this week. Some exciting, exciting news when it comes to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Super Bowl, the biggest uh, sporting event of the year, as it's called on TV. And this year, we have some history being made, too. History being made, and it's a coincidence that the woman's name is Sarah. So that makes it three Sarahs right here winning. But Sarah Thomas will be the first woman to officiate the Super Bowl. How cool. Super Bowl 55. And... Reading up on this, I thought it was cool. I learned that you have to have five years of experience to be able to officiate in a Super Bowl. So Sarah Thomas uh, was a trailblazer back in 2015 when she came on board as a female referee, and now she's getting to be the first female referee in the Super Bowl. How cool is that? That's great. I love this quote, too, from the NFL Executive Vice President of Football Operations, Troy Vincent Sr., called the group of referees the best of the best. So right there, as we mentioned last week, we're taking, you know, the female has a, has a seat at the table, and she's, she's considered the best of the best. It's so true. And eventually, Sarah, I think these news uh, stories are really cool to have the first, but eventually it's just going to be normal to have females in industries that they weren't in before. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, like we mentioned last week, we had several different segments that we're going to bring you with Women Wins. We're always going to bring you some news and updates, but we're also going to allow you to get to know us. So we are calling this Sarah and Sarah off the court. Off the court. So you can learn a little bit about us outside of our roles as as coaches and admins so sarah why don't you start what's what's something off the court unique about you well you know i'm a very eclectic person i know that might sound really weird um especially with the role that i have but i think it's actually what makes me sane and i think it's important obviously to talk about a balance of work and life and and we even dig a little deeper in our conversation with our guest today, so you'll hear that. But I have a love for plants. I can't tell you how many plant babies I have in my house. And I can just tell you, it's so, it's just therapy to me. And, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of time when I'm watering and nurturing in the plants. I do a lot of thinking or evaluating about my day. And it's just, it's, it's crazy. It might look like a, a jungle in here. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to give you this perception that I got like palm trees and ivy hanging from the ceilings, but it's definitely, um, definitely very, uh, you know, bohemian. I have so many different houseplants and I, I just love when it gets warm outside and I can even further that love of my plants outdoors. <laughs> I know that uh, I love going to Sarah's house because it just has this great vibe and even though she's got plants everywhere, it, she makes it all work. And <laughs> I've always been jealous of that because I feel like I like have these cool things, but you got to have that creativity to make it all work in your house, too. Yeah. And you know, it's crazy. <laughs> this is the craziest thing. I have, you know, being Irish, and I love St. Patrick's Day. And I have these shamrock plants. And no lie, Sarah, I moved the one shamrock plant. has probably been with me for uh, maybe 
three years. I got it at a Trader Joe's. I remember exactly at Trader Joe's in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, at that time, I was living in Johnson City, Tennessee, and I even I was able to make it in the move back to Kentucky, and it's still kicking. And I was talking to it <laughs> last night, and like I'm like, you are so powerful. Like you keep, like you just keep growing. So it's cool. Don't give up on your plants. Keep watering. Keep talking to them. You know, they can't talk back. So that's the best <laughs> friend to have. That's awesome. That's awesome, Sarah. Well, what I was going to share this week uh, about me, it's not going to be surprising to people that know me, but I'm going to tell you all about our pets at home. Um, so I've loved animals pretty much my whole life, grew up with, with dogs always, and when my husband Matthew and I got married, we started looking at adopting a dog, and in 2014, we adopted Fred Charleston. Fred is a great dad, <laughs> and he is on Instagram, if anybody wants to follow him, at Fred Charleston, and he's our big baby. He, uh, I think at his his max weight, he was about 170 pounds, so big giant, but big baby. He's now uh, 12 and a half years old. We adopted him when he was six, mm. and uh, he's great. He's, he's, our, he's our big guy is what we call him. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I was leaving our house and heard this meowing in our front yard, and I investigated and from these bushes in front of our house out walked this little gray cat and he wouldn't leave. He wanted to follow me everywhere. So I got him in our, our garage for the night and um, we were just going to foster him for a couple of weeks, but he's been here ever since. <laughs> and that's little Remus, our cat. He's gray with a little bobtail. He's uh, the first cat I've ever had in my life and I love him. He's definitely very athletic too. Yes, he's a little he's a little ninja cat. <laughs> um, and then our our other pet uh, is Molly. She's a lab mix that we adopted. She's a pandemic dog. <laughs> we mm -hmm. adopted her in May of 2020. Um, she was actually rescued from this terrible hoarding situation where this man had over a hundred dogs and they were all not in very good health. Um, and so Molly keeps us on her toes. She definitely likes to bark and she has a lot higher energy than Fred. So she makes us run with her a lot, but all together, uh, they just make our days way better when we get home. So definitely if you're looking to add an animal to your house, get out there to a shelter. There's, there's all kinds of, of animals and shelters, um, that you can adopt that are just going to make your lives whole so mm -hmm. and when you go to Sarah Matthews house it's like the animals are very present and <laughs> they're sort of like they're mascots <laughs> and they um but they definitely show so much love and it's so cool to be there with them and just to see their happy faces that's right and if you know me as well you know that I always have dog hair or cat hair art yeah. I'm sure I own a piece of clothing that isn't covered in fur as much as I try but you know it just adds to my personality I guess it happens right <laughs> it does well that's cool we just want all the listeners to get to know us and it's very important to be you know, genuine and real and we want you to be a part of this as um, you know we keep sharing different wins uh, throughout Women Wins podcast. Okay with a busy week we obviously have to stay true to ourselves, and we always find creative ways that inspire us. I think this week was just filled with so much inspiration after the inauguration on Wednesday. What an amazing day, you know, to see Vice President Harris um, enter the office is, is just, it's mind blowing to me. And I'm so excited. And really, Sarah, I'm really excited for all the little girls that saw that. And, um, you know, it just tells you, you can't stop dreaming and you gotta keep working. So 
Um, our nation went through a lot over the past month and to see the celebration and joy come together for that event. There were so many powerhouse performers with J-Lo and Lady Gaga, Garth Brooks even sang The Amazing Grace, like, um, you know, the, uh, the poet Amanda, she was absolutely amazing. Like, I, I stopped in my place. Like, it, it was, um, I had it on at the office and I could just feel my eyes flooding up and, and it was just, is very, very inspiring. So I hope that folks out there felt some inspiration, um, not only with ourselves but with our country. And um, looking forward to seeing what they're gonna do. So how are you inspired this week, Sarah? You know, my inspiration ties a lot into what you were talking about um, with female role models. And um, I was on a a call with NCAA this week to talk about emerging sports for female athletes at the college level. And one of those emerging sports right now is uh, women's wrestling. Um, And there was this very impressive um, young woman. Her name is Allison Pettix and she is a wrestler at King university. And she just kind of blew me away. Um, She, she talked about how, Growing up being a wrestler, she was always on the boys' team, and she only ever had male coaches, and so all of their role models were all men, and so to her, all of her role models were all men, until she got to college and found an opportunity uh, to wrestle with other female athletes as well, and I remember one one line that she said was, I didn't know how to be a girl and a wrestler. And she said to me, those were not mutually exclusive words. Like I thought I just had to be one of the boys if I also wanted to be a wrestler and being able to be part of this emerging sport in college then gave her the opportunity to have female role models. So this leads us into our guest speaker for this week and Um, I've been able to be inspired by our guest speaker this week, even if only for the past few months, but I know she's been inspiring people for over 30 years now. Um, She earned a scholarship to play basketball at Florida State and was named an MVP during her senior year. She also has a master's degree in sports admin from the University of Northern Colorado and has a 30-year coaching career. Uh, with it most recently being coaching basketball at Lynn University in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, She's part of a great coaching organization called True North Sports, and we are so excited to have her on our show today. A coach's coach licensed to coach. Celia Slater. Celia, we are so excited to have you on this show today. My pleasure. I feel very honored. We're honored to have you on here as well, uh, our first episode with our first guest, so it should be pretty fun. Um, we were just going to start by talking about True North Sports in general, and um, it's a, for everybody to know, I'm lucky enough to be part of the Coaching Yourself uh, class with Celia. Um, it's been a really great experience. <laughs> I've enjoyed it very, very much. And, and we can talk about that a little bit more later, but we wanted you to talk about your calling to start True North Sports. When did you decide that that was something that you felt was something you wanted to do? And then, and then how did that involve evolve into what it is today? Well, I feel like um, it's a really great question. I, I feel like Um, when I was a coach, a young coach, um, you know, and I think a lot of athletes experienced this, like when I was an athlete, so much of my identity was caught up in, you know, who I was as an athlete, athletics. And so I just, I really had a hard time leaving, um, uh, athletics and, and, and specifically basketball because that was such a huge part of my life and so I went into coaching like I had no idea what I was doing you know and just like every coach it's like they kind of move in from being an athlete because they love it they want to stay involved in the game 
And, you know, like most coaches, they get into it because they want to make a difference in the lives of their student athletes. So, but I have to say, like, even though I did many things very, very well, I made a lot of mistakes and mistakes because we don't train coaches in our country. And, and so it's, it's interesting to me because I feel like a coach in my mind, after being coached for so many years and then becoming a coach and now a coach's coach, I feel like, you know, for whatever reason, we don't equate coaches to teachers. And, and I feel like in my real big dream, I feel like coaching coaches should go through a very similar training and degree program as a teacher would. Mm-hmm. I feel like there should be an entity above and beyond the NCA, like a ministry of sport in our country where coaches actually get a license to coach. So if you're a bad coach and you break all the rules or you sexually harass your players or you, you know, do some things to break the law, you lose your license. You cannot coach anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, that's kind of where so much of my inspiration comes from is, you know, so much of my struggle. And a lot of times, if you look at any kind of program or any kind of movement, a lot of times those things are kind of burst out of a pain point that somebody experienced, you know, mothers against drunk driving, um, the, the Komen foundation for breast cancer, you know, all of those things. And, you know, and of course, you know, mine's much different. It's just, I struggled as a coach. And so a lot of my inspiration to create programming for other coaches came from that struggle and the, and just feeling all the mistakes that I made um, that I just, I just wanted to try to help, you know, coaches not make some of those same mistakes so a lot of my inspiration for it comes from my life experience, my life story. Um, how do you take a wound and turn it into a gift? Ooh. And, you know, those types of things. So, and, you know, like I, my background, you know, being a coach and then because of a series of relationships that I had built primarily with Judy Sweet, who is you know, like one of the biggest pioneers in women's athletics, um, who really helped me and mentored me. Um, and we started the NCAA Women Coaches Academy in 2003. And that program still runs today through We Coach. Um, and I'm really proud of it. I love doing that program. Um, but in 2014, I wanted to branch out and start True North Sports. And, and a part of it was, A, it was time for me to leave that other organization. Um, and B, because I just felt like I, I didn't really feel like I was influencing change very much because I felt like when you only have women in the room, and I loved it, trust me, it's very um, – and, you know, you get excited, it's empowering, you feel like you got this community, you got all these people who are feeling a lot of the same things, experiencing a lot of the same things. So I don't want uh, to say anything that that program isn't amazing, because it is. And I'm sure Megan Kahn and We Coach are doing a great job of running that program to this day. I just felt like there are so many men that need the training as well. Mm -hmm. And I felt like if we could have conversations in the room with everybody in the room, men, women, people of color, different sexuality, um, you know, just all religions, you name it, like backgrounds, um, people from different countries, you know, like I, I just think it makes the conversation a lot more juicy and, and then you feel like you're really influencing change Whereas women know they're discriminated against. It's, it's felt a little bit to me more and more like I was preaching to the choir. And, and now I'm so grateful because, you know, just some of the people that I met through this uh, True North Sports, I'm telling you, it's uh, some of the men that I've met, some of the women that I've met. But I, I think some of these male coaches that are so grateful 
for the impact that our program has had on them. Um, I, I've had coaches tell me, you know, I helped save their marriage. I've, you know, helped them realize, you know, so many things. And, and, and plus they are just, you know, their gratitude extends over to their service, giving back to the organization. Um, you know, today I have um, Giancarlo Lemmy. He's, he's speaking to the class today about his entire process of putting his philosophy together. And that process started when he came to our assistant coach immersion program back in 2016. And he's just been an amazing support for me. Um, as a person, you know, he'll, he'll call me out of the blue and he'll just say, Celia, I just want you to know, is there anything you need? Cause I really want to pray for you today. Oh, and you know, awesome. he, yeah, he, does, he just does that all the time. You know, it's like, it's so, it's just a wonderful friendship that we have now. That's great. Anyway. I'm sorry. I just wanted to go back to the whole, when you bring people to the table, you got more, you got diversity, you got people from all over, obviously, that allows more room to evolve and grow and to learn. That's one of my big things in marketing is to collaborate. But I love, I love the term you use, juicy. Make the conversation more interesting. And yeah. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I think the um, something that we've talked about before, too, is when you are – in a room full of people who are just like you, everything is comfortable and you don't have to worry about blowback from conversation. And, and I know that growing up playing sports, I had a lot of male coaches growing up too. And like it or not, when we decide we want to move on to coach after we play, we take things from every coach that, that we were, were part of. And, and knowing that it's not just women that are trained like that, but, every coach is able to pass on a trainable knowledge to someone else. And, and it's not just a, well, this is how I've done it for 30 years, but it's, it's constantly evolving. It's really cool when you can put coaches of all, even different regions of, you know, the United States, some might coach differently. I remember growing up in softball, you know, and, and playing in Kentucky where fast pitch was, it wasn't introduced to the state until the late nineties, but everybody else was playing fast pitch for many years on the West coast and the different coaching styles. And now it's, you know, it's getting to where it's very compliant and everybody's competitive and um, it's amazing. So, yeah. So I know there's all these professional development opportunities are, are very vast. So what makes True North Sports and all of your coaching academies, and maybe you can talk about all the different um, academies you offer, which I hope to be able to do many of them one day. Um, but how do those differ from other coaching education programs out there? Well, you know, I, I would say like when we started the Women Coaches Academy, um, we were probably – trailblazers in the fact that we brought coaches of all sports together in the classroom and we were teaching obviously all the other skill sets outside of the X's and O's that a coach might need or a coach generally speaking um, probably puts way too much time into the X's and O's and not enough time in the people management leadership and self-awareness skills you need to really become what we would call a transformational coach. So it's, I think that, you know, that's probably what I've carried over into true North sports was that concept of bringing coaches of all sports together. And now it's, you know, just, you know, the gender differences and as head coaches, assistant coaches, it's, you know, Sometimes we have high school coaches and club coaches and two-year college coaches. So I think it's just a real broad spectrum of people that, you know, are in the, in the class. So I feel like um, that's one of the big differences, you know. And then, you know, we, we, one of the positives for me that came out of COVID was 
I, um, uh, you know, had always had this vision of creating this coach development academy. Um, but when COVID came along, and I'm such a people person, I love being in the room with people. Uh, I love relationships. We're gonna, I know you want to talk about values, and I would say relationships is one of my highest values. Um, so I wasn't always thrilled with the virtual world, and, and I, I've struggled with it. But when I started the Coach Development Academy, I found like, wow, you know, this is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And it's, you know, it's really a great way to connect. And, you know, you get speakers, you, you're, you know, your speaker pool is much greater because you don't have to fly them in. You don't have to pay for them. You know, so the budget, I mean, like all of those things just started going, wow, this isn't so bad, you know. <laughs> So then we, you know, my longtime colleague, Holly Hesse, who's the softball coach at Missouri State University, and she um, is just an amazing person, giver, generous, but she's also like constantly evolving as a coach. She, she totally is always trying to get better. And, and, you know, so we kind of talked together about creating a workbook series um, and how could we take all the content that we've been working on over all these years of working with coaches and, and make it in a real usable format and that would fit the virtual world. So we have four, uh, four workbook series that we're building right now. And, and really the categories are really based on mine and Holly's experience of working with coaches for almost 20 years now. So I, you know, so the first class is managing yourself which, you know, that's a workbook that's completed. And we've probably run that class now. We're getting ready to start our fourth class, February 3rd. And then managing your program is the second workbook um, that Holly pretty much wrote from her philosophy called the Diamond of Success. And then the third workbook um, we're working on right now, finishing up is called Managing Your Culture, which is being primarily written by Teresa Beckman. Um, who's a former coach, great colleague of mine. And then the fourth workbook is going to be called Managing Your Career, which is um, being written by myself, Julie Bach from um, the Bach Group, which is an interviewing and hiring group. Um, who's, and Julie's always supported my work for my career. So she's been nice enough to write the first part, which is going to be all about interviewing, resumes, self-knowledge, you know, all that stuff moving forward. And then Holly and I are kind of collaborating to write the second part of that book, which is about coaching transitions, um, you know, moving from assistant coach to head coach, and then probably uh, what are some ideas for moving out of the coaching career. Mm -hmm. So that's managing your career. That's the fourth workbook that's being written as well right now. So um, by the end of the summer, we'll have a four workbook series, four classes that are, have virtual videos to support that, those classes. And, um, so I'm really excited about it. And once COVID, um, settles down and we can get back in person, I'm probably going to do some camps, like, you know, just small group work with like, uh, one camp that I really want to do, I'm, I, I would probably call confidence camp, you know, where coaches can come and, you know, work on building their own self-confidence. So that's kind of where we are right now. And, um, and we just recently partnered with Game Plan uh, so that all of our Coach Development Academy will be hosted on their platform, which is an amazing platform. Um, so I'm excited about that. And that's where we are right now. Look at you. Big things happening. That's great. I I just wanted to add, I love that you said, obviously, you know, the partnership that you have with Holly and the, the information that you are teaching people. Those are real life experiences, um, as you mentioned. And that's, that's how I learn. I love to chat with, you know, my athletic director and hear him tell me stories and, and those are learning experiences because you know, they went through that. And I listened to something last night and it was actually about weight loss and there's all these weight loss programs and there's these fitness people, but they've probably been fit all their life and they've probably been thin and they probably, you know, they eat, um, 
you know, great. But yeah, they probably eat carrots and celery for lunch. I mean, how boring is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I want to, I'm motivated by somebody that has fought through it, you know, who, um, let's say the, the person that was uh, on this podcast last night was talking about how they lost 70 pounds, you know, and you can feel the energy in their interview because they lived it. And so I think coaches will definitely appreciate that with your programs and the workbooks that they know that 30 years of coaching and however many other, you know, other years that your partners have, I mean, combined, you're probably close to a hundred years of experience. <laughs> yeah, no, we, just, we definitely have a lot of experience. And then our guest speakers are amazing too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. One of um one of, I think, your favorite uh, people to quote is Brene Brown, and she talks a lot about vulnerability. Um, I actually was looking back through my notes, and um, in the very beginning of this class, um, in the Managing Yourself class, you talk about whatever your past has been, your future is completely spotless. Ooh. And I loved that because I think that vulnerability from coaches is important because we have to have that confidence like you were talking about to be able to admit when we were wrong. Um, because just because we're wrong doesn't mean we're failures just means we happened to be wrong in that moment in time. Yeah, no, it's, and I think like, I always like to talk about our failure ecosystem. Like, you know, like Sue, uh, Sue Enquist talks about our failure response, you know, system and, and where she kind of trains her athletes to bounce back quickly when she was coaching from a failure. And I always think it's interesting to me because they say, you know, the only way you get better is by failing and, you know, these things. And yet I also think it's important, like when you fail, what is the environment around you when you fail or make a mistake? Mm. I'm going to give you a really quick story to kind of illustrate this because um, my um, really dear longtime friend is uh, her. Fr- I'm just going to say her first name is Barb, and she was a she retired as a two star general from the Air Force, and she was overseeing a group in uh, I can't remember if it was Qatar, um, but one of those you know the uh, Muslim countries. She was over there, and she was overseeing a base, and they there was a religious holiday coming up that she wanted to send out an email to let the base know, hey, if you go out, please, you know, recognize the religious holiday, be respectful, you know, all these things. Well, one of the airmen that was under her thought that he was forwarding the email to his wife, Barb, but he actually forwarded by mistake back to Barb, his commanding officer. And it was all this stuff about Muslims and racist and, you know, all these things. So Barb, decides that she's going to reach out to him and bring him into the office. But she, instead of shaming him and, you know, doing all these horrible things to him to make a point, she basically brought him in and had a conversation about why did he feel that way? And, 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 you know, kind of, he mean, he definitely had consequences for that, what he did, but think about, when somebody fails and you make a choice to make it a teachable moment and because it, it, you know, like, and I asked Barb, I said, you know, why did you decide to do that? And, you know, lo and behold, of course she has a story from when she was a really young airman coming out of the air force Academy. And she made a mistake in her training as a navigator for KC 135s, which were the refueling planes And the commanding officer chose to humiliate her and, you know, really make her as an example. And and I think she realized that if people are going to grow from their mistakes, and I think this is a really important, you know, message is you, we create that failure ecosystem. And if that ecosystem is toxic and mean spirited and shaming and blaming, like Brene would say, no one's going to be vulnerable. No one's going to make a mistake. No one's going to take a risk. No one's going to do any of those things. So when you look at your environment around failure, what is your philosophy around failure? But beyond your philosophy, what are your behaviors, actions, words 
around when people experience failure within your organization, because that says a lot. And then if people aren't safe failing, they're not going to take chances. They're not going to take that last second shot. They're not going to, you know, so I think, I think, yes, we all learn from failure. And at the same time, our experience through failure is how do we view ourselves? What's our self-talk, which is the most important part around failure, is how do we treat ourselves? What's the voice in our head saying, right? Mm -hmm. But then the other part of it is um, what, are, what is the, the group that I'm a part of? What is, what is the feeling that I get from that group around failure as well. Man, that's so good. <laughs> I'm just thinking about our team and teams I've worked with in the past and how true that is of like, you, we'll, we'll talk about values kind of going off of this is that ecosystem that you're creating. It's one thing to create it. It's another thing to live it. And it's another thing to enforce it and embody it in your athletes and in, in coworkers and in whatever you're doing. Um, so without, without sharing all of your secrets, I guess, um, what, what's your process in identifying those, tr those true values um, that you want to stick to and, and how do you make those actionable? How do you practice those in your field? Well, that's a really great question. I, I think if we're really like, for me, I'm a, I'm a very feeling person. I'm probably, my kinesthetic self is probably off the charts. Some, I would almost say like in some, in some ways I am a, a bit of an empath where like I feel the world. So mm -hmm. I feel energy. I feel people's pain. I feel a lot. You are with like-minded souls, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah, so, you know, so I think, like, when you're, if you're really honest with yourself, you can truly feel what your highest values are, you know, like, I, it's what lights you up the most, it's what, what you want to give, like, I, I would say to the coaches, I think I have this in the workbook, even that, you know, if you want to really take a look at what you value in your life, look at what you give your time to, what you give your money to, and what you give your energy to. Mm -hmm. Because whether you say you value something, if you say you value your family, but you don't give any of your time or your energy to your family, then is not really your highest value. Mm -hmm. So it's your actions, it's your behaviors that really say what your highest values are. Um, so... I guess for me, um, I give most of my time and energy and probably money to relationships. So I would say relationships are my highest value. So if I'm going to stick with relationships, then um, how to make those actionable then would be, you know, how, do, how often do I stay in touch with some of my closest friends? What do I have in place um, to keep Becky and I's relationship strong? What, what things do we do to maintain connection and communication and fun and adventure and all those things in our relationship? Um, my relationships with the coaches, um, you know, being available for them, you know, making time to talk to them. Um, and just my family, you know, like my sisters and I are all really close, um, my brothers. And, you know, so I really try to make time for my family and connecting with them so it's when you say something is valuable to you the reason we say make them actionable is because if there's no if there's no action attached to it then it's really not truly a value for you if you're not willing to put some action behind it so you know that that to me is and our values change over time, you know, our values, you know, they grow, they, they change as our life experiences change. And, you know, one of the examples for that for me is when I was younger, I would want to live anywhere. I'd, I'd go live in Alaska for a year just for the adventure of it. So because oh, yeah. adventure, I love adventure. I love spontaneity. But the older I've gotten, you know, I'm 59 now. It's like, I don't want to, like, I, I love 
California and I love that part of the country and I love the weather much better than Florida. But I'm, I'm like, Hey, I just don't want to be that far away from my people. Mm-hmm. So my family, as I've gotten older has become a higher and higher value for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the other thing we have to notice is our values shift and change over our lifetime. Um, but, you know, some would argue like Brene would probably argue that, you know, you have two, like she wants you to get down to two values in your whole life that guide you, not, not values around work, not values around home, but two values that govern your entire life, regardless of who you're interacting with. That's really, that takes a lot of self-reflection to get to that point of really being able to nail two. But if I had to nail two, for me, I would say relationships um, and then, I mean, the three, I have to give you three, um, <laughs> is um, I have a really high appreciation of values around uh, beauty and excellence. That's one of my highest uh, character traits and one of my highest values is the beauty around me and recognizing it, uh, understanding excellence in people and programs. And, and then I would say um, empathy is another very high value for me. Um, I love that. So that's really, for me, it's like, you really, it's a lot about self-reflection and really where, where do you feel your values in your body and what, what is it you want to bring out and what lights you up as a person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. You talk about energy. Sarah talks about energy all the time. And it's, it's not just um, the energy that you feel, but it's the energy you give out too. So when, yeah. you, when you walk in a room, when you walk into practice, What's your team feel? What's your coworkers feel? What's that energy that they've got? So I think energy is so important. I know Sarah. Well, I think, yeah, I think, I think the thing that we really, as humans, we don't honor the intuitive sides of ourselves and, and recognizing that people are simply energy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and like understanding that wherever you put your energy is what's going to grow in your life. So you know, because energy, like I had um, a really great mentor of mine tell me once, Bev, and she said, hey, energy's like fertilizer. Wherever you put it, that's what's going to grow in your life. So <laughs> I you, you just, and that could be bad things, you know. It, it, could be, <laughs> it could be like gossiping. It could be, you know, whatever you want to put that energy towards, that's what's going to grow in your life. Totally. Absolutely. And yeah, my, uh, you know, there's days where I say my why and my purpose is my energy. And um, I even, even when I drive to the office, I get out of the vehicle and it's kind of funny. I have a walk up song to the arena every day that I play on my phone. Just no matter where my mindset is, I'm going to go into work with that level of energy that I give every day. And so I think that's so cool that you said that. What's the song? I mean, now my curiosity. It's different. And that's what a part of I'll share that on my, on the website. I'll put Sarah's walk up music. Cause everything. Yeah, there you go. Walk up playlist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, touchy, you know, we've talked a lot about what we're doing right now, but looking back when you were a young girl, you know, did you ever think your career would take this path? I mean, you obviously were an outstanding Division One basketball player. You had a coaching career. Did you ever think of that when you were younger? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never say that I thought at 59 I'd be um, coaching coaches or creating programs for coaches. I, I, I never would have thought that. Yeah. I, I look back on it, I really did have a lot of, amazing um, female role models in my life um, from my junior high coach, Georgia Daniels, to my high school coach, Nancy Yengel, and, um, you know, in college, Jan Allen, you know, like I and coach Annie Tribble, like, I don't know, I just, I, it's interesting, because nowadays, I'm probably a little bit of a weirdo, because I had a lot of female coaches, like, I, I love weirdos. Yeah, you know, because, <laughs> I mean, I don't think many people could say that the majority of their coaches were female. Um, And so I feel really lucky 
in that respect because I had a lot of positive, strong female role models. Um, and that's the interesting thing, like, to me, because I feel like sometimes people don't understand that even though I work with male and female coaches now, like, still mentoring women and helping women advance is, is one of my highest priorities. I'm still very passionate about that. And, you know, part of it is trying to help shift the mindset of the men in, in the athletic world that they kind of have this unconscious bias. And, and, and I say it's unconscious because I don't really believe that men wake up every morning and go, can't wait to discriminate against women today. You know, so I think it's just one of those things where they kind of grew up that way. We, we teach boys at a young age that the worst thing they could be is a girl. And, you know, it's just kind of in the background of the person, the gender that we mold in our society. And, and I think that, that sometimes they're not even aware of it, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and that's really some of my most rewarding moments is when I have a young male coach tell me, I never thought of it like that. That's great. We want to inspire young women to, you know, they can, they can do these things too and they can grow in the profession. So I'm going to say like just yesterday, you know, I, I was watching the inauguration and I think the times that I cried the hardest were when the women were on the stage from Lady Gaga to JLo to that young poet who mm -hmm. just, amazing just what an amazing young soul she is like oh yes I mean her poem like it, it and then just seeing Kamala you know become the first female uh, vice president in our country is really sad on one thing like why did it take us so long but on the other side it's very exciting um, and those are the things that really touched me the most uh, about yesterday absolutely just the evolution of everything and and how it's it's like you said from the beginning you think that that men and women should all get these kinds of training and it's great to see it yeah and i'm gonna i'm gonna give you my radical view on what i believe gender equality is Let's okay so gender equality to me is not about women becoming equal to men Gender equality to me is a personal thing mm -hmm. and that each of us need to have gender equality within us. So if I'm going to be a healthy woman, I want to have both male qualities when I need them and female qualities when I need them. Mm -hmm. And that when people are really healthy, they have a better balance of both of those energies, right? So they have the female energy and the male energy. So to me, I want to be as gender equal as I, you know, I want to have gender equality within myself yep. and think about that. So you think about how we raise women and we tell them the worst thing they could be is bossy, bitchy, you know, all the things that we would say are male qualities. So we try to shame the male qualities out of women. And then, so the guys, you know, we call these names, right. To shame any feminine qualities out of them. And yet, if, if we all wanted to have a really healthy life, right, we want to have compassion and confidence. Mm -hmm. We want to be driven and nurturing. Mm -hmm. We want, you know, so for anyone to really have a completely full and healthy life, really, we want people to be gender equal um, in themselves. So I think it's an inward job, not an outward job. Yeah. I I've love that. Heard it explained like that. I, I really like that. It's really. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's kind of deep, but anyway. <laughs> but explain. And I think it, you just really shine the light on maybe that's why I am who I am. You know, growing up with three older brothers. So I always heard that communication. I saw that drive in them. I saw that determination, you know, but I was still playing with Barbies and I was still, you know, loving fashion and things. But I, maybe that's why I found my purpose working in college athletics. I can be creative, still be, you know, feminine or show, you know, my compassion and nurturing, but then I can, I can go hard and I can have those tough conversations and, 
Uh, that's so cool. Thank you for sharing that angle. So, yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. Well, you know, we talked about your vision, but what would you, as a young girl, you didn't expect this, but now looking at it as you are in your, you know, I feel like you're still moving and grooving. You just got a new chapter in your career and your lifestyle. So what would you tell that younger self, you know, as you were, let's say when you were in high school and you were playing ball and what would you tell yourself? You know, I, I mean, what I would tell myself probably doesn't have a lot to do with my career choice or my career path. It would be more around like being more kind to myself. I think I was, my, my self-talk was so harsh and I would try to be so kind and generous to everyone else. But for whatever reason, I got left off that kind and generous list. And, and I think like if I could have had some, like somebody who could teach, like we don't teach our relationship skills with ourselves, you know, and think about the impact that would have. Um, so like when I talk about appreciation of beauty and excellence as my highest values or relationships as my highest values, that all starts with me, you know, like I have to build in practices every day to remind myself that I have to love myself first and appreciate myself first. It's not easy, but it's a constant practice and I have to work really hard because, you know, we already have a negativity bias built in and many times I have to overcome that negativity bias by my own self-talk and, um, you know, really surrendering to it. And I think, I think one of the other really important things around like building a relationship with yourself is also this concept of the middle road. I wish that somehow I would have known that you don't want to get too attached to the highs because they're going to, everything's, you know, temporary. You don't want to go get attached to the lows. Like, and it's such a great lesson for coaches and athletes too, that you really want to be in that middle road where you don't get too high on your successes and you don't get too lows on your failures that you always are kind of bouncing around in that middle area and understanding that it's all temporary, nothing's permanent, nothing's certain. We, we live in uncertainty. And how do you respond to that uncertainty um, is, is really important. I just, I just want to play that whole talk to our team. <laughs> <laughs> I think not just athletes, but young people in general need to hear how important positive self-talk is. Yeah. I mean, self-deprecation has become such a big part of society, almost in like a funny way. And it's not funny in the long run. And being able to have that confidence to instead of looking at a scenario of what went wrong, like what can I do now? I think is such a mindset that young people need to grow as people, not in whatever profession they're doing just to grow. Yeah. But, but you think about it, you know, you guys, it's like in the society we're growing up with there, these young people are constantly comparing themselves, you know, like with social media and it's like, I, I, you know, like, the, the thing that I think we don't realize is, and I think, I don't know if it was on your call, um, Sarah, last week in the managing yourself class about the, the, was it uh, the coach that was talking about how sensitive yeah. this generation is, you know, mm -hmm. and, and he coaches male and female athletes. And so he's, he's saying broadly across. Mm -hmm. And I would agree with that. I think that our male athletes are becoming more sensitive. They're not, they don't respond to the, you know, the belittling rhetoric anymore. They don't, you know, that doesn't, it doesn't pump them up, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's very interesting. Um, and, and, you know, Dr. Tim Elmore, who's a, you know, a generational expert would tell you that one of the muscles that these young people need help with developing is their empathy muscle. Mm -hmm. 
you know? So mm-hmm. I think that's another big issue is, you know, how strong is their empathy muscle? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we teach young people to be nicer to themselves, to be kinder to themselves, um, not be so harsh, so, so uh, judgmental? Yeah. And being sensitive isn't a bad trait to have. I think that that's all part of how we can all evolve too, as coaches, as administrators of recognizing that maybe it's not them that needs to toughen up. Maybe it's we need to find better ways to communicate our point. Right. You know, and then just, you know, and teaching them, you know, that I, I just believe that the reason we're here is to learn to love ourselves mm-hmm. and to then from there, take that love and extend it to others. I think it's really hard because um, it's not a genuine love when you're faking it, um, especially when it comes to yourself. You know, it's, it's really hard to start from fake and try to be genuine, you know, and it's never perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect. Like I, I have practices in my life. Like I was mentioning, like I meditate every day. I tell myself, I love myself every day out loud. You know, I put my hands on my heart and I say, good morning, Celia. I love you. And, you know, I just try my hardest after I finish meditating to, you know, say something that I appreciate about myself, you know, um, but it's a practice. It's, it's, it's a constant, you know, and, and so it, it, it's one of those things where it's like if you're a basketball player, you've got to work on that left hand if you're right-handed, you know. Um, you have to practice it. You have to work on it every day, and that's no different. I, I think the other part of our society that I struggle with is if I have an ACL injury, we all know what we do to fix that. We go to the rehab, we get the surgery, we do all those things. But when our society, if somebody has an emotional wound or they're hurt or they're sensitive, or we don't really teach young people how to heal that aspect. And because, you know, it's not easy to find a therapist. It's not, you know, it's not part of our, but how do we help people heal from those parts that are wounded or that are hurt or that they're suffering from um, and make it okay to talk about it? Just as okay as it is to go to a doctor to get surgery to repair your ACL or, your, or you're going to go to the trainer to ice your, you know, cranked ankle that you just turned, you know. So I, I just feel like we honor the physical wounds and we work hard to fix those but we don't work hard to, or or we don't really have an understanding or a process that we could share with our younger generations on how to heal emotional wounds. I I definitely agree with you. I, I do think that there is some positives about at least having the conversation nowadays, you know, having even our conference, we have a mental health awareness week and, and things like that. When I was a former student athlete, you never saw that. You never heard yeah. about that. I had, you know, breakdowns, anxiety attacks, you know, just um, not understanding that, yes, I'm going to go hit in the batting cage for an hour, but I also need to take care of my mental health too. No, and- exactly. I agree with you 100%. It's definitely better. And I think, Sarah, to me, it's like there's one part that's mental health like that we have, like some people have very distinct issues, whether that's depression, anxiety, those pieces. And then there's just life that things happen that are not like over the top catastrophic, but they really affect us. Right. And so it's, those are two different things. Like they're sometimes they cross over, but sometimes they're just, you know, it's how do we navigate life and failure and, you know, things people say to hurt us or, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's all really juicy and interesting conversation, you know, around how do we help people become better people, better versions of themselves. Um, 
-hmm. But just think about some of the stuff people have been through. It's like, there's people who've been through some really, really tough stuff. Oh, yeah. And how do they let that go? How do they heal that? Mm -hmm. I can tell you one thing that helped me was and is still every day is the people that I'm around. I mean, I'm not saying this because somebody hired me, but it is a blessing every day to be able to be my authentic, genuine self. And if I have to answer a FaceTime call and I'm already been crying for five minutes, he is going to sit there with me and then, (laughs) and, and try to calm me down. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And obviously for Sarah. So I think you know, one way until they start prescribing several steps for us to take care of ourselves is, is to surround our, you know, you know, our mind and our, you know, ourselves with people that really care and that are true friends and they might be your coworkers too. So. No, for sure. And then, you know, we, I, I honestly don't think we get through life by ourselves. Like it's yeah. real. I mean, we, we all long for belonging. We all long for connectedness. And I think like there's, I, I mean, when I was really trying to do some healing on my own, um, it's really hard because you can read every self-help book on the planet, <laughs> but until you actually get into a room and you share your story, mm-hmm. do you really actually start you know, having some form of healing occur. And that that's uh, sometimes it's just saying it mm-hmm. out loud. Yeah, I you agree. don't always need that advice back. Sometimes you just need an ear to hear. That's what exactly you're right. You don't need to be fixed. You just need to be heard. Yeah, right. I talk Sarah's ear off all summer. <laughs> well, uh, well, I think we could talk all day, Celia. I this has been such a fun conversation, and the fun's not done yet. We have kind of a last little segment. Um, we call this tunnel talk with Sarah and Sarah. So we're just going to ask you a few random questions we just want to get to know you the person not just you the the head of true north sports so sarah i'll start with the first one um so celia you have 30 minutes to fit in a workout what's your go-to for that 30 minutes um biking or walking all right what's your favorite pizza topping Ooh, pepperoni (laughs) What's the last show that you binged? Um, uh, the Queen's Gambit. Good. Talking to two Kentucky girls. <laughs> well, how do you take your coffee? Uh, cream and sugar. Well, usually it's uh, Italian sweet cream. But we have an espresso machine, so I'm a kind of a coffee snob. So Ooh, just like our boss. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do just regular coffee anymore. I have to have it like a, a European espresso or cappuccino. Like I'm just a little bit of a snob there. <laughs> hey, you got to enjoy the little things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have any pets? Yes, Becky and I have four dogs. Oh, we Lucy's a lab mix. Marge, large Marge is a, a, pit, a pit bull and um, boxer mix. And uh, Buddy, who's my longest relationship I've had in my life, he's uh, going to be 13 this year. And then um, he's a little miniature Dotson. And then um, Rose, she's a little chihuahua mix. She's our youngest. She's our baby. That's cool. I'm going to use that line because I have a 13 year old. That's my longest relationship. (laughs) 13 year old shit zoo. Yeah. Um, Well, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate almond. Awesome. That's easy. (laughs) Well, we'll finish up with one last one. Who's someone that you look up to or you admire? Oh man. So many people. Um, I would say, like the person in my life right now is I really look up to Becky, you know, my, my partner, my wife, my, you know, I, I, I love how she moves through the world. Awesome. Um, I just really love that she cares so deeply about her athletes and her work. Um, she has a great sense of humor. She's fun. She's funny. Um, 
And uh, so I feel very blessed in my relationship to, to have, um, you know, someone that's, that really pushes me to grow. And, and I feel like that's, that we have that in common. We can push each other to grow. Um, and then there's just like so many other people like my family, like Brene Brown, um, like there's just lots of people out there that I really do admire a lot, but I would say in my day to day, it's probably Becky. I've gotten to hear Becky speak twice recently and I hope one day, maybe we have an in now, maybe we can get her on women wins too. Oh, she'll, she'd be happy to do it. She's, she's very giving of her time and, you know, sometimes to a fault, but she, she would be happy to do it. That's awesome. Well, Celia, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for this great conversation. Um, we can't wait to have women and men all over here, all the great stuff that we've talked about today. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate y'all having me. And if I leave anybody with the message, I just, I just want you to be kind to yourself, be gentle with yourself, and, um, and then be kind and gentle to the people around you. Everybody's doing the best they can, you know, so... Mm -hmm. Let's all be nice and kind to each other. Words to live by. <laughs> yeah. It's like at the end of the game, we got to give a round of applause and the crowd cheers. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on Women Wins. We loved having Celia on the show to share all that knowledge with us and with you. If you want to learn more about Celia and True North Sports, you can find more information at women-wins.com on our podcast page. No matter what sport you coach, if you're a man, a woman, uh, whatever it is, Celia has the info to help you. Um, she's got four different programs, like she says, with her Coaching Development Academy. She's got a book coming out soon. I highly recommend it as someone who's experienced it, and we thank Celia for her support of of everybody in this sports industry. Yeah, what a great, what a great session that we had with her. And I look forward to hopefully we create a series. Yeah, we'll have Celia back anytime she wants. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, don't forget to follow us on social media at Women Wins. Uh, we want to hear from you, so please drop us a line. Visit our website. Uh, there's an area there. We'd love to hear your feedback. So next week, we got somebody else on deck. Um, it's a coach at the Division One level, a basketball coach. She's a dear friend of mine. Very excited to catch up with her and see how she is winning in the sports world. So um, we hope you tune in next week. We'll see you next time on Women Wins.